invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, where verses 14 through 28 will be our passage this Lord's Day. If you've been with us, you know that we've been walking through Luke's Gospel for some time, and most recently, it's been a couple of weeks, looking at the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught His disciples and teaches us to pray that God's kingdom would come. And as we looked at that prayer, we talked about how uh, the kingdom of God has come and and is coming. We live in this already and not yet, and that kingdom of light is overcoming the kingdom of darkness. And so what we see throughout God's word and what we see throughout the Gospels is that Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God, and he is overcoming the kingdoms of this world. Light is conquering darkness. And one day light will extinguish all darkness. And we see a picture of that as we now come to another account in the Gospels of the authority of Jesus overwhelming the powers of darkness as Jesus will cast out a demon from a man who had been so oppressed by this demon that it had caused him to be mute. So we're going to look at Luke 11, beginning there in verse 14, and out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand as I read this passage for us. We stand out of reverence for the word because this is the holy word of God, written down through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by a doctor named Luke, and this is what he wrote. Now when he, Jesus, was casting a demon out that was mute, When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when, strong, when one stronger then attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. The last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather 
are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You would pray with me. Father, I pray today that we would hear your word and keep it. We are prone to forget it. We are prone to wander off into other places and not even focus on it to, to be so easily distracted. We are prone to be overwhelmed with anxiety and worry, to, to fret about the, the week to come, the days to come. And yet, Lord, in your providence, you have given us this time and this moment that we might hear from your word and keep it. Lord, that is only possible through the redemptive work of Christ, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you would empower us to do these things now as we consider the word you have given us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you may know that in just a few days, we will mark a, a very important day in Reformation history. Tuesday, October 31st, is Reformation Day. Now, this is a, a remembrance of the events that took place October 31st, 1517, when a German monk named Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church doors at Wittenberg. These 95 theses were a protest against the, the wrong teachings of the Catholic Church in his day, a principle of which in those theses you find was the sale of indulgences and the teaching that our salvation could somehow be earned or even purchased. And so out of the Reformation from Luther and other reformers that came before and after him, we came away with that for, with five important teachings, five solas, that the correct understanding that a salvation is not earned or bought, it is by faith alone, uh, it is through grace alone, that, that we are to live our lives for the glory of God alone, that we are to look to the Scripture as the sole authority, the, the supremacy of God's inerrant word, sola scriptura, and along those five solas was the important truth that was recovered. Sola Christus. Christ alone. That our trust, our hope is found in our King, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That salvation is only accomplished through Jesus and His finished work on the cross. He is the Lord's Messiah. He is the King that has come and will come again. And we are to trust in him fully. But, but this was not just a message from the 1500s. This is the message of the gospel before us. This is the message of Luke as he is writing based on eyewitness testimony about the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And all along the way, we see Jesus encountering those who do not believe in Christ alone. And we see him encountering those who are oppressed by the enemy and the powers of darkness. And each time we do, we are reminded of the authority of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus. We're reminded of that Reformation truth of Christ alone. And so we're going to be reminded of that now as we simply walk through this passage in Luke that we have before us, beginning there again in verse 14. We have gone now from the Lord's Prayer, and then Luke takes us to this account where he says in verse 14, 
Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. <laughs> he takes this right there into this scene, but it is not an unfamiliar scene. It's a scene that we have seen before. Uh, Jesus dealing with the demonic. This is ground that we have covered a number of times because we've already come across a number of these accounts in Luke's gospel. For example, you may recall when we were in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus was teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath and there was a man there who was oppressed by a demon and he cast that demon out. You may recall that as Luke was describing to us those who were followers of Jesus and his disciples and listening to his teaching, uh, among them we read in Luke chapter 8 were a number of women who had had demons cast out of them. And then in that same chapter, perhaps the most memorable account we have in the Gospels, or the Gospel of Luke, of Jesus dealing with someone possessed by a demon, is when he encounters that demoniac, that man who was living among the dead in the tombs, chains could not hold him. The people in the town were scared of him, and yet we see the power of Christ over those demonic influences, as he too is free from his oppression. Luke chapter 9, you may remember that boy who was so overcome by this demon, it would throw him down into fires, and Christ heals him as well. And so now we come to, again, familiar territory, another place where we see Jesus dealing with the demonic, and yet there is something peculiar about this one. Luke notes that Jesus here was casting out a demon that was mute. And so we have a, a physical condition that is a result of a spiritual reality that this man's muteness, his inability to speak, was a direct result of this demonic possession. Now we would err greatly if we were to take this passage and then try to attribute every physical ailment to a demon. And yet some have done this very thing. Some have gone so far as say, well, you, you've got a cold, you, you've got a, a cold demon. You need to exercise that demon. And they will go through every physical infirmity, and they will say, this is because you have the demon of this, and the demon of this, and the demon of that. All you have to do is open up the Bible and read through all these other accounts in the Gospels to see that is erroneous. Jesus encounters the blind, and he does not cast out of them the demon of blindness. He encounters people who are deaf. He does not cast out of them the demon of deafness. There are people who are born sick and diseased because of the fall that we read about in the very beginning of Scripture. And we have been dealing with death and disease ever since. And yet, at the same time, this demon was a demon of muteness. And God is very clear to us in this passage that what had happened to this man because of this demonic possession and oppression in his life is he did not have the ability to speak. We have no idea how long this had taken place. We don't know if this had been four days, four months, four years, 40 years, but it had been long enough that the people in that community were aware of this man's situation. He was not just the quiet guy. He was a man who was possessed by a demon. That there wasn't just this, you know, uh, humble, quiet spirit to him. It was clear that he had been oppressed by this demon, and probably one of many things that were true as a result was he did not have the ability to speak. And so, Jesus cast this demon out. 
And immediately, Luke tells us, this man began to speak. And when he speaks, because the people were aware of his condition and had witnessed his condition, verse 14, the people marveled. I mean, you can imagine that scene, that this was their friend, the member of their community. For some, this was a family member, perhaps a, a brother, a father, a son. And now he has been freed of that which had oppressed him. And, and the people are marveling and they're amazing at the grace of, amazed at the grace of God. And yet Luke tells us that's not the only response. In verse 15, some of the people were not marveling at Jesus. They were suspicious of Jesus. That they began to talk among themselves and even say out loud in front of others that the only reason Jesus could cast out this demon was because he had the power of a demon himself, who they name as Beelzebul, the prince of demons. And then others, verse 16, Luke tells us, that they weren't saying that, they weren't marveling, they were just demanding another sign. <laughs> Which, if you think about the irony there, they, they wanted a sign from heaven to prove the sign from heaven that they had just seen was indeed a sign from heaven. And so that's endless. I mean, if they had been given a sign, then surely others would have said, well, we want a sign from heaven to prove that sign from heaven to prove that other sign from heaven was really from heaven. And on and on and on. That This what was not what we see so often today. People who say, well, if, if Jesus just could do this, if God would just show me this sign, then immediately I would believe this is the fruit of an unbelieving heart. In fact, Jesus will deal with these very people not long after this, in a passage we'll get to not long from today, where he calls them an evil generation for wanting a sign. He's not going to deal with that right now, but he is going to deal with those who say to him that the only way that this demon had been cast out was because Jesus himself was somehow possessed or had the authority or power of a demon himself. And so you go through the passage and he notes the fallacy of their accusation and how foolish it was to say that a demon could be cast out by the power of another demon. And instead he says to him that that's not what you have witnessed. What you have seen here, he says in verse 20, is you have seen the finger of God, the power of God, the authority of God, is how this man was freed from his oppression. The finger of God. We see that very phrase in Exodus chapter 8. And if you recall our study of Exodus chapter 8, you know that that's at a point when God is bringing these plagues against Pharaoh and against the Egyptians because of their refusal to let the people of God go and be freed from their slavery because of the hardness of their heart and their wickedness. They would not hear the word of God. And so God brings plague after plague after plague. And initially what Pharaoh does is he'll go to his magicians and he'll say, well, just recreate for me what would this character over here created by his own mystical power of his God. And it gets to a point where they say in, a, in, a, in Exodus chapter 8, well, we can't recreate this. This is the finger of God. Jesus says this before a Jewish audience who would have been very well versed in the Pentateuch, in Exodus, and the, the Hebrews being freed from their oppression. When he says finger of God, he, he is pointing them back so that they might understand that the same power of God that was 
was freeing his people from their slavery, was overcoming the wickedness and the darkness. That same power is before you today because the kingdom is being proclaimed to you today. And I am not empowered by a demon. I am empowered by the Almighty. Jesus then gives them a picture of how the kingdom of God is more powerful than the kingdom of the enemy. He says, and I'll read again, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than him attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor, in which he trusted, and divides his spoil. Some of you may have read through that before and thought, what, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? But again, just step back and look at the context. Jesus is in a situation where, where the enemy's power is evident. Where, where the kingdoms of darkness have seemed in this man's life to prevail. Where likely his friends and his family and his community had witnessed what had taken place with him. And, and even in that day, among the Jewish people, you, you had individuals who were exorcists, who were, who were paid, that was their profession, to go and to, to exorcise demons. Jesus doesn't negate that, and he doesn't validate it, but he does mention it here when he says, if you say this about me, what about your sons? What about your exorcists? What are you saying about them? And surely this man with this muteness had gone to all of them, and nobody could help him. Why? Because there was one with great strength and power, and that power was evident in this man's life, and he was under this oppression because of the power of darkness. But what does Jesus say? That's all well and good. Strong man can guard his house, fortify his house, get out everything he can to protect his house, protect his kingdom. His power seems evident to everybody until what? Until a stronger one and when that stronger one comes, he evicts that other man. He overcomes that other man. He divides the spoil of that other man. The picture here Jesus is giving us is the picture this crowd had just witnessed that the stronger one has come. The stronger one is Christ. Therefore, we need not fear the darkness. Friends, so often we tend to look at the enemy like we look at some childhood cartoon. And we have this picture of where you got the, the devil on one shoulder and you got the angel on the other shoulder and there are these dueling powers. That's not the picture we have before us in God's Word. Satan is not sitting on the shoulder. Satan is squashed under the heel of Christ. He is the victorious one. He is the one with all power and all authority. Therefore, with one word, this man is freed of his demonic oppression. And to those who doubt it, and to those who attribute it to the enemy, Jesus says, you are foolish, and your hearts are darkened. Because the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one with all power and authority, Lord Messiah, is before you now, and your foolish hearts are so dark, they cannot see it. And that was not just true in Luke 11. That is true in our world today. As the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed, people's foolish hearts are darkened. And that is not because the enemy is more powerful than Christ. That is because we, friends, are born with a sin nature 
And that sin nature is our oppression. That sin nature is what controls us and leads us. And until we come to an awareness of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will follow that sin nature to the end. But Jesus says there is a better way. And there is a stronger one. And he is triumphant. And therefore, we must turn and trust in him. And if we refuse to turn and trust in him, note, Jesus says, there's no neutral position here. You will either be for him or you will be against him. The second observation you have before there in your outline. Every person is either for Jesus or against him. Verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus says, listen, there's no neutral place for you in this crowd today. You're either going to stand amazed at the power of God, or you're going to say something like, this is a demon. That there's no innocent bystander. In the Gospels, and there's no innocent bystander in our world today. No neutral position. You may be aware that there is an election that's about to take place. And if you have turned on your television for more than 32 seconds in the last two months, you are aware. Because what do we see at every commercial break? This man's the devil. And here's why he's the devil. And then from the opposing camp. Well, this man's the devil, and here's why he's the devil. That they're not articulating positions. They are going after one another in a way, as all candidates often do, to say, you are either for me and against him, or you are for him and against me. And yet, we'll, we'll, what will happen on November 7th? Some people will go and they will vote, and a lot of people won't. A lot of people don't care. A lot of people are apathetic. A lot of people have all kinds of reasons, but they just kind of sit in this neutral position where they say, well, I'm not for one or against one. They might articulate, I like this about this one, this about this one, I don't like either one. Whatever it is, by sitting on the sidelines, they view themselves as that neutral position. Friends, if we're not careful, this is exactly what we do with the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This is what many people do today with the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I'm, I'm not for it, but I'm not against it. I, I'm just going to you know, do my best to love my friends and my neighbors. I'm going to do my best to, to live like I should live, and I just trust in the end God will sort it all out. And God in his kindness did not leave it up to us to have some type of vague idea or notion about how things might be settled out. Now, he has spoken to us clearly through his word, and he has told us undoubtedly, Romans 14, that so each of us will give an account of himself, not to our neighbors, not to some set of scales that weigh our work, each one of us will give an account of himself to God, our creator, to whom we're accountable. The, the one who, who, who has so much power and authority, he can speak to dirt and make a mess. And he can give that man value 
not because he came from dirt, but because he was created by God. And he can take that dead man and he can breathe life into him and he can give him responsibility and character and purpose and virtue. He can make him a citizen of a kingdom he has no business being in. This is the power of God and it has been revealed over and over and over again through his word. But so often we do not respond to this word. Why? Because of our very sin nature. We all have sinned. God's word tells us, and we fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death. And yet so many will try so many things that they can just clean themselves up and, and might make themselves look better, but, but it doesn't work that way. Because every effort we make to clean ourselves up will come with further efforts to clean ourselves up. And I think Jesus points us to that. His third observation before you is this. Number three, we do not come into Christ's kingdom through exterior renovation, <laughs> through cleaning ourselves up. And notice what Jesus says now. He, he, he goes back to this demonic activity. He, he's explaining to us, kind of lifting the veil for us so that we could see the unseen and have an understanding of what's going on with this, this man who had been oppressed by this demon. Verse 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Now, there is much that has been made of this passage. I think as I look at it and study it, I think Jesus is speaking here of demonic possession and, and how this person, they were freed from the unclean spirit, and so life got better. <laughs> but nothing filled that void. That, that, that void in their life that was filled with the demonic activity and Oppression, nothing filled that void. And so while life seemed to get better for this person, nothing filled their heart. And so now they are still open to further oppression. I don't think that Jesus is saying here that every unbelieving person is demon-possessed. But I think what we do see clearly from Scripture and from the teachings of Jesus is that every unbelieving person is oppressed by our sin nature. And if something else doesn't take residence up in our heart, then, then we will be ruled by that sin nature. And we can make all kinds of efforts to clean that up. <laughs> well, we can tidy the room. We can clean the place up. I, I think we see a picture of that in life so often when people, that they feel a weight of their sin, a burden. They feel guilty, and so that guilt then drives them to try to clean up their life. We have folks who will come into the church all the time for this very reason. Why, I just want to be a better person. I just feel like, you know, this year, you know, watch what happens on January 1st. I want to make this resolution, and I want to improve, and I want to get better, and I'm going to clean the house up, and I'm going to make it look nicer. But what happens so often in life when we do that, we, we do good for a little while, but then whatever it is we were trying to get rid of, it seems to come back, and sometimes it comes back sevenfold. I was reading an account just this week about a, a celebrity who 
come out with a, a book a while back, and I was reading an excerpt from it, and they were talking about their, their struggle with substance abuse. It was a lifelong struggle that they had had, and in the course of about 25, 30 years, they estimated they had spent $7 million on rehab, that they had relapsed nearly 100 times. I'm sure each time there was a sincerity there. Each time there was, I'm not going to do this again, and yet it kept coming back. We, we don't need to look to Hollywood to understand that. We, we can look in the mirror. I mean, how many times have you vowed? How many times have you said to someone, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm never going to do that again. And then you do that again. Our vows fall short if they come from, a, from an empty heart. But Jesus says that there's a better way. That there's someone else who can come and take up residence in our heart. We, we can be then transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit who can come into our heart, take up residence there, and then our lives are conformed into the image of Christ. Then that there's no place there for that sin nature to rule us. That there's no place there for that power of the enemy to take up residence. We need a new heart, not a new way of living, thinking that and that alone will fix us. J.C. Ryle writing about this passage, says it this way. There is no safety except in conversion. In thorough Christianity, to lay aside open sin is nothing unless grace reigns in our hearts. To cease to do evil is a small matter if we do not also learn to do well. The house must not only be swept and whitewashed, a new tenant must be introduced, or else the leprosy may appear again on its walls. The outward life must not only be garnished with the formal trappings of religion, the power of vital religion must be experienced in the inner man. The devil must not only be cast out, the Holy Spirit must take his place. Christ must dwell in our hearts by faith. We must not only be moralized, but spiritualized. We must not only be reformed, but born again. Jesus is teaching us that conversion is more than an external moral revolution. It is a heart which has been changed and transformed and softened and given new and eternal life by the work of the gospel by Jesus Christ. And how does that work begin? It begins through repentance and faith. The fourth and final observation before you. We come into Christ's kingdom through repentance and faith. And so now notice as all this is taking place, there's a woman in the crowd that Luke notes shouts out a blessing. So she is among those not that are looking for another sign, not that are accusing Jesus of casting out a demon by a demon. She is among those who are amazed at the grace and the power of God that is before them. I believe she's one among them who understands rightly this is the Lord's Christ. And so notice what she says, verse 27, Luke says it this way, as, as Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nurse. 
she's she's blessing Mary here. She's saying your 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 mother Jesus is a is a blessed woman. <laughs> to to have been blessed by God is the one who would carry you in her womb, who would nurse you and raise you. How blessed she is. And Jesus, he doesn't negate that. He doesn't rebuke that. Because what we see clearly in the Gospels is, is Mary is declared blessed for this very reason. You look back to Luke chapter 1, the angel comes to Mary, Gabriel says to him, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was indeed blessed by God. But, but what Jesus says here is that the, the true and ultimate blessing comes by those who hear the word of God and do what it says. And, and that's ultimately the reason I believe Jesus is saying Mary is blessed, and that's ultimately the reason that you and I are blessed. Because we, we not only hear the word of God, but we do what the word of God says. Gabriel tells Mary all that's going to happen related to the birth of Jesus. And she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She believes the word of God. Now that young pregnant virgin then goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth. And before her, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according, excuse me, blessed is she, sorry, Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. That this is the blessing that Mary receives. And friends, this is the same blessing that you and I receive. That, that we have before us the word of God, not, not just to observe, not just to think about, not just to inspire us, to live a better life, not just to pull a verse out here and there and put it on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or a tattoo. This is the word of God which we are then to believe through which God then changes our hearts. The Holy Spirit takes up residence and then for the rest of our days we are transformed into the image of Christ so that more and more each day we become like Jesus and less like who we used to be. Through the power of God as we trust, as we believe, and as we do what he calls us to do. And so that's the challenge for us in Luke chapter 11. Believe that Jesus is exactly who Jesus said he was. Believe that God can do exactly what God has said he will do and trust in him in all your ways. Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your flesh, and refreshment to your bones. May we all experience this healing and refreshment as we trust in the Lord. If you would pray with me.